Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. All right, today's Forest Educator Spotlight is all about natural shelters. And I'm going to start this episode off and be brutally honest. After 35 years plus of teaching wilderness and nature and education skills out in the woods with students, shelter currently is my least favorite thing to do. Just because I've done it so many times. And it does take a lot of effort to get everybody on board and get people excited about the whole process. It's not that it's not a great thing because it is. And every time I do teach it, it's just an amazing experience. And it's like a wonder. It's just great to see students like looking in awe at what they just created when moments ago, half an hour ago, 45 minutes ago, we were just standing in the woods. And all of a sudden we have this like cozy little home that we could actually spend the night in and survive, even though it's going to be, I think, 35 degrees tonight here in upstate New York, a student could pull this together and do just fine and sleep there for a number of days until they get found or whatever. I see the value. I understand it intellectually. It's very difficult for me to get pumped up for it just because I have like lots of other things that I'd like to do. It's probably like if somebody was like, hey, I've scooped ice cream for 35 years or I've made pizza for 35 years and someone said, hey, could you make me a pizza? And you're like, oh yeah, I love the joy of somebody giving them a fresh pizza or ice cream, whatever it is. So you might still enjoy that part of it, but the idea of actually getting the dough and doing it all and you just go, okay, I'm, I'm done with that point. That doesn't mean I'm not going to keep teaching it because I am. It's on my agenda. It's on my list of curriculum. I still teach it to forest educators and to people coming to my wilderness survival programs. So I'm still going to teach it, but I'm just saying, just to be honest, it's not the most exciting thing for me right now. But that being said, I'm going to take you back to when I first got started in wilderness education. One of the things that really seemed to capture the imagination of people that would find me in the forest, I would go out someplace, I'd be working at a school or working somewhere. And I would just build a little shelter in the woods behind a barn or wherever up on a hill. And it's sort of like being in a place where there's a lot of brush and leaves and fallen trees. And I would just snap off a bunch of branches, put something together, pile up the leaves. And before I knew it, I'd have this cozy camp and I'd build a little fire pit. I'd make a backrest oftentimes to be extra comfortable. And by the time I got all that done, I'm not sure if like me snapping branches or gathering things attracted people, or maybe it was like smoke from my campfire or whatever, but students would find me and they would find what I'm doing and they would just show up and then they would just sit there with me and I might be carving or twisting up some cordage or sewing buckskin or something like that. And they would just look and look all around and see the shelter and their eyes would get really big and they would just go, did you make that shelter? And I'm like, oh yeah, I just made that. And they just couldn't believe it. They didn't have any way to categorize this. Now this is 35 to maybe 40 years ago. So it was a long time ago, 
40 years ago, I would have been 18, 19, which is right about that age. And this is way, way before the internet or any of that. So there's no cell phones, there's nothing. But they would look at that shelter and just say, wow, this wheels would start turning. And they just did not quite know how to put this. And then they'd see me taking my knife and carving a little wooden spoon. And they're just like, where did that spoon come from? And I'm like, oh, it came from this branch. And then they would see a bunch of acorns gathered. And they're like, what are you going to do with that? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to boil them and leach out the tannins and then get some really nice nutritious nuts. And they would go, huh, I never heard of that. I was just constantly blowing their minds and their imaginations. And the fact that they also didn't have Minecraft or any other things that they had to, that were obsessed about in the moment. So they would just look at this and then think about it for weeks, I guess. And then eventually they would try to find me again and then say, will you teach me? Will you teach me more stuff about what, whatever it is you're doing? I want, and I go, what do you want to know? And they're like, I want to know everything. But that shelter was like one of the initial doorways in where they just found this shelter in the woods and they found me there maybe, or they saw it. And then they would go back and tell their friends and go, hey, there's a shelter. You want to go check it out? And they're like, yeah, let's go see. And it, it became a focal point often for the work I did. And then when I started teaching at summer camps and so forth, one of the things we would do is go out and they'd say, hey, you know, this is important to learn how to take care of yourself or be out here in the rain or whatever. And we would jump in and start grabbing materials and we'd look at, we'd practice making a shelter in a bad location where there wasn't very many leaves or anything. And we'd just go, well, what would we do here? And sometimes they would be successful and sometimes we'd be like, this is too much work. Let's just move. Let's just walk 200 yards in any direction and it's going to be better than what we have right here. But it was really a, a fun process for me to just experiment. Like shelter gives us opportunities to experiment because there's so many different kinds of shelters and so many different ways to build them and design them. Now, most of the time I was just working with a straight up debris style shelter, which is sort of like an A-frame with a long ridge pole that's sturdy, leaned up against a tree in the crotch of a tree, like a Y or maybe it would be against a stump or whatever. And then we would put sticks on either side, like a little A-frame, and then put brush on top of that, and then pile on all kinds of leaves and ferns and goldenrod and anything we could find to basically create this really thick walls and roof that would then, if it was piled up thick enough, like three feet thick, it would shed rain and keep the wind out and everything, especially if we packed it in really tightly. And when you did that, you could, and then you slept in one of those shelters, it's, it's something that really stays with you because you're just like in the earth. You're like buried in these trees, leaves, there's branches everywhere, and it just smells so rich and fragrant. And obviously your body odor is going to be in there, so it's going to be a little bit funky. And you're also maybe keeping some of your supplies in there. And maybe you have a blanket, maybe you have a sleeping bag, you might have different things or whatever. But being able to create a little home in the wild is just so, so valuable. And I, I, if, you, if you've never made a shelter, I really urge you, if you're an educator, to find someone, team up with someone and go, hey, let's watch some videos on YouTube. But with debris shelters, there's a bunch, I mean, you could find probably a hundred of them 
online that would show you how to do it. You can look it up in like wilderness books like Tom Brown's or Jason Knight or Michael Puther's or whatever. You could find stories about these shelters and pictures and ways to do it and just go out and do it. And you will learn a, an incredible amount by actually picking up sticks and trying to find the right location, trying to do everything to put one of these things together. And the beautiful thing about it is that you may fail. There's a lot of ways to fail in building a shelter. For me, the biggest failure usually starts right off in the beginning, which is people don't pick an area that has lots of debris, lots of fallen trees and sticks and brush, and lots of flat land that is also on a little rise so it doesn't flood. And it's also not going to be like on the side of a hill where you're going to be like rolling down the hill all night. And this type of shelter making is takes us into a little bit of an analysis, like looking at a location and saying, does it have what I need? Does it also have the safety things I need? Are there dead trees that could fall down on us in the middle of the night? Are there dead overhanging branches that could just fall, that are broken, that could fall through? Are there ground-dwelling hornets? Are there ant nests? Are there any other considerations that we would want to take in, keep in mind as we're building this? And this is part of like my wonderful love of wilderness survival is that in order to teach someone about wilderness survival, you have to teach them how to think. And they have to be able to think and assess things on their own. They can't just rely on, oh, this is what Rick told me, or this is what Tom Brown told me, or this is what whoever the person is told me. You want to also then say, hey, what do I need to know here? And how do I assess what's going on here? Because I'm not going to be there when you really need it. If your canoe overturns on a summer night down in on a lake somewhere in Canada or whatever, like probably I'm not going to be on the bank just standing there going, all right, here's how to let me check your work or something. So you're going to have to figure that out. Now, obviously, from a survival point of view, if you're running a forest educator program, you don't have to focus on the survival side. You can focus on whatever element you want with your group. You can frame it as survival. I like framing it from a survival point of view because to me, it's just like ground zero. It's like, hey, if you don't build this shelter right and it snows tonight, you will die because you will have hypothermia. It will suck your heat away. In the morning, you're going to be shivering. You're not going to really be able to function. You're going to be in like early stages of hypothermia. You're probably not going to make the right decisions to insulate it and get it better. And even if you do, you may not be able to recover on your own unless you have somebody else's body heat or you have a fire. That's just the truth. Now, I also work with older children, so that would not be appropriate with students all the way up to say 12 or maybe 13 even. I wouldn't go hardcore with that. I mean, heck, it could be turn off people from wanting to learn this stuff too. And I'm not trying to shock them into this learning it, but more just like saying, hey, this is what the reality is here and do you want to know how to solve these problems that you might have and they almost always want to know what that is and then work it out and so i then share with them that 
because I'm literally going to be saying these shelters did save my life when I needed it most in the wilderness. And that's true because I've actually taken these shelters and put them to use when the chips were down, when it was life and death, and, I, and they worked for me. So I can say that because I have that direct experience. But you don't need to do it like that. You can build it as, hey, let's build something cool that we can all learn from and see what we come up with. And you can experiment with different kinds of shelters. Just know that I'm not saying this my way is the best way. I'm just saying I personally like that. That's my kind of like unique predilection based on my experience. But I really love the idea of it being more artistic or expressive or creative. And to me, those are really important values as well in nature and in wilderness and in life. I'm 100% down with that. Now, another thing that to keep in mind is that when I'm teaching shelters most of the time now, most of the time it's always debris shelters. And it's kind of like we're going to get in, teach you the basics of what you would need to know and then get out. And most of the time we're not sleeping in them. Most of the time I don't have time to get into a lot of different styles of shelter just because there just isn't enough time. And we have, we move on because we, what happens is that shelter building does one type of uh, experience. It's sort of like a team building approach. That's also very physical. And then we get into, maybe we go tracking or maybe we go and do a craft and we're doing leather pouches or we're going to learn how to throw throwing sticks or there's all these different types of activities that we do that then build up a recipe, so to speak, an ingredients list that then creates the experience that we want to create. So shelter is just one of those. So if you're thinking of it as a recipe, it's just like one piece. So the the whole program doesn't have a goal to just build shelters or just be about survival, but just having that one piece in there can just be a little bit of an anchor and a, and a good solid base that can be built on down the road if you like. So there are a few other ways to build shelters, of course. And one of the ways that I have made shelters has been if you have access to stones, you can actually build what's called like a Hogan or whether it could be stones or it could be logs, especially if you have mud and grass and any kind of clay, and you have, you know, a lot of sticks and so forth or, or rocks, you can basically mix that up and make kind of like a, a survival cement and then put rocks down, put a gob of mud down with mixed in with grass to kind of hold it out when it dries, plop down a rock, put some more mud on it. And you basically just start putting it together like bricks or like an old stone wall and it's very physical to do, but that, you know, if you get that wall two or th two feet high, three feet high, that will be a very, very sturdy long-term shelter that will last for maybe 10 or 15 years out in the woods. And that's a, another way to do it. And one of my first experiences in a shelter like that was with my friend Craig. He built a Hogan that was a circular Hogan. He built it next to a stone wall up in New England. And he had it all mixed up and he had a fireplace in there set up and it was just fantastic. It had a slanted like lean-to type roof with poles on top and then piled with leaves and debris. And it was really, really warm 
and you know shed water no water was in there and it was you just felt really safe when you were sleeping and camping in that and it lasted a long time i'm sure it's actually still up there maybe it's lost a few it's probably lost all the sticks and leaves that probably rotted in the center from the top but it's something that is really fun to play with and students love getting mud and grasses and mixing it up we use hay sometimes and or straw and you just mix all that clay and mud up with your feet and your hands and then just start laying it even if you just do a little wall as part of your shelter it's super fun to do so that's kind of one of the elements of shelter that you can add on to uh in your you know in your overall bag of tricks because shelter just with debris is awesome but it's only really the tip of the iceberg here. So another type of shelter is one that I call the thatch hut. And it's a, usually built with poles. Sometimes it can be poles that are bent. So it looks like a rounded or an, you know, kind of an oval type shelter. And then you collect, this is something you'd only do if you have lots and lots of grass or tall weeds like, you know, goldenrod and other tall plants that you can then go and collect that are maybe two and a half, three feet long, and you can get bundles of that grass. And then when you cut all that and everybody gets these bundles, you then tie them in bunches and go all around and you layer them. So you have one layer that goes around and then the next layer comes in and goes on top of that. And then the next goes on top of that. So they're all kind of shingled and they form this nice thick thatching that goes all the way up to the top. And if it's curved a little bit, or if it's just like a pyramid or whatever, it will shed rain and they're very, very effective. And they are, they will last a very long time because the grass will actually kind of clump up and then dry in the wind after a rain. And it's very, very cool process to do it, just to see it being done and then to make it happen. And I always like to do projects like this that are very small because if they're big, they take so much time that you, everybody kind of peters out. They work really hard the first session, second session, they work pretty hard. The third session, they're like, okay, we're dragging and they can't sustain that energy or whatever. So uh, it, it would probably be better if, if I was doing something that was like, oh, I'm meeting with a group of students every two days a week for a year, then you could probably take a few hours and just work on the shelter a little bit every day and then eventually you'd have something pretty solid. Or sometimes it helps if you just have a couple of like young 20 year olds who are really into it and they'll just go out the day before and cut like a huge, huge pile of grass and then it goes much faster. So if you have the materials already there, then that will really help your shelter building go super fast. So thatch huts are, are cool. We actually built a thatch hut and we raised it up on a little platform because we were in on this lawn that was kind of damp. So we actually put a circle of stones around. We filled it with gravel. Then we put a layer of clay that we mixed in with straw and we pounded it. We got it so it was moist, but not too moist. And we pounded it nice and solid and we walked all around it and made it so that it was dried and really smooth and you could sweep it clean. And it was up off, it was off by about maybe 10 inches above the rest of the lawn. And then we had our poles that went in around the sides of that and went up and then it kind of capped off at a really nice 
peak in that roof. And then we built that. We had to use ladders to get up there to the top because it was about 11 feet, 12 feet high. And it took us about three different summer camps. We have we had camps that were like a week long. And so we'd get one good day out of each and maybe a half a day from each group that came through. And by the third group, we were pretty much completed. And it was a really cool shelter. It was big enough for two people to sleep on either side. It was a little bit of an oval at the base. And it was pretty cool. I think eventually I went in there one time like three years later. And I think I saw a few bats hanging upstairs, upside down in there. And I was like, okay, nobody's sleep. Nobody's going in that shelter anymore. But, but that shelter stayed for a long time, that thatch hut. And it was something that everybody really enjoyed. And this is tricky to build these because you're also looking at cutting a lot of cordage, like you're using, you know, baling twine or whatever you're using. And so you're, it involves using knots and gathering these bundles of grasses and lashing them and lashing the poles. And so there's a lot of like knot tying and other elements to this that make your shelter process really rich in terms of lots and lots of what I call skills behind the skills, right? So there's a lot of things that you have to kind of, you need in order to make that work. And if I was like lost in the wilderness, I certainly wouldn't like start gathering milkweed and then making cordage to make a thatch hut. That would not be first on my list in any any conceivable way of looking at it. But if I was there long term and I wanted to be there and keep my family clean and dry and everything else, and then I would certainly consider having that as at least part of the shelter because it's just really warm and really effective. But in this educational context, it's just fun to have little examples of different things that you can do. And thatch, little thatch huts could be also just something that is made that's more like a little pavilion. Like you could make something kind of small that you could sit underneath and stay dry in a rainstorm. That might just be for, maybe it's a five foot circle or something. And you just build a little thing and put it up on poles high enough that other people can sit around underneath and it could be kind of shady or whatever. So could be like a little arbor. And another type of shelter that I've used a lot over the years is what I call a stacked debris wall. And a stacked debris wall shelter is where you get poles. It's really helpful if you live in an area where there's lots of viburnums and like tall, thin, brushy plants on the edges of fields, especially overgrown fields where they're kind of the bushes and everything are starting to creep into the field. And there's usually lots and lots of them that are maybe quarter sized thick going up and there's a lot, they're like four feet high and then they kind of have a bunch of branches and you can go in and cut those right off low at the base and then cut them, cut the branchy parts off and get like a nice pole that's like three feet, four feet long. And they're sturdy enough that you can then pound them into the ground. Now, if you cut those off at the base, they will sprout from there and grow right back up again. So you're really just giving that tree, that bush, uh, a haircut. But you get those poles, and, and it's okay if they're kind of on the thin side. And what you do to build this shelter is you're going to need to put them, sink them into the ground. And sinking them into the ground, if you try to take a flexible pole that's fairly thin, and you put it, even if you put a sharp point on it, 
and then you try and bash it with a rock or a big log. The, because the stick flexes, you're really only going to go in about three inches, even if the ground is really soft, just because there's so much of your energy is lost in the flexing of that pole. So what I do is I make, I take one of those that's a little on the larger side, I cut it down so it's only about nine or 10, maybe 12 inches long. I sharpen a point on the end, and then I use that to at like a stake, and I will just make a bunch of holes in the ground. I'll pound it in about three, four inches in, maybe four or five inches if it can. And then I'll twist it a little bit and pull it out without ripping up a lot of the ground. And then I'll go and I'll drop a pole in there behind it so that I don't like mess up the hole. And then And I just keep putting those in and you make a row on one side and then about maybe a foot to the either side of that, you'll make another roll about a row about a foot away. And so there's two long rows of poles, kind of like trees lining a road. And you get those poles in and they're going to be like all laying every which way. So they're going to be a little crazy, but that's okay. It's okay if they're like that. So I usually take the tops of those bushes that I cut and I bring those over. And then what I'll do is I will gather up some debris like goldenrod or leaves or fern or grasses. I gather all that up. I lay that down in between those, those two holes or the two lines. And then I start weaving the, the tops in and back and forth across on either side. And it sort of weaves a woven wall. And I usually just go up about a foot and then I stuff debris in between both of them. And then I go up about a foot, weave it up, and then stuff debris in there. And I'll put logs and poles in there. I'll put anything in there. And I'll really pack that wall tight. If you don't pack it tight, wind will blow right through it. I learned that the hard way. I built a really nice stack debris wall shelter when I was in Kansas one time. Because I was on the prairie and there was a bunch of brush, but it wasn't anything. And I thought, I'm going to build something and just see if it works. And I did. And it worked, except because I didn't pack it enough when I was laying in there, I just had this wind blowing through it the whole night and it was freezing. So the next day, I wasn't going to stay there, but the next day I just like really jammed down, pushed all that down and that really helped. And I actually stuffed debris in while I was laying there too in the night trying to stuff those holes up. Um, so you really got to pack it in uh, and make it as thick as you can. So a, a foot, you could go two feet if you want to really get serious, but that's a lot more debris. So if you're just doing this as an example, yeah, make it a foot, see how it goes. But you can weave back and forth around there. I, sometimes I'd get like grapevines. I'd weave grapevines all the way around. And when you make those that wall, you actually would make it so it would kind of, it almost looks like a loaf of bread. You're making those two lines going all the way around and making a, an oval shape that's big enough to allow you to lay inside with a little bit of room on either side of your shoulders so that you can stuff debris in there, grasses or whatever, and sleep on that. And I usually build it about maybe, I want to say waist high. You know, I want it to be tall enough so that I can get in there and have a little bit of room, but I don't want it to be too tall because then all my heat will just go straight up. So I would build it about waist high, belly button height maybe, or right at your hip, and stuff that debris all the way around. And you have to kind of weave back and forth those branches, especially as you get higher up. Sometimes it even helps to tie the, 
those poles on either side together to keep them from spreading outward because they want to kind of create a V. It'll, it'll bend and flex outward and you have to hold them in as you weave that and then stuff things in. It's a little tricky and it's loose. It's I call it like loosey-goosey. It's like part of doing like wilderness skills is like learning how to handle the chaos. Like making a basket, you just get a bunch of willow or whatever and you're trying to weave it together. And while you're starting to do that, it will just look like chaos. But once you get a few things under control and you start to understand the process, it starts to look really, really cool and amazing. But it doesn't have to take all day either. I don't want you to think, oh, you have to build this stack debris wall and you have to weave this like incredible woven mesh all the way around and make it perfect. That is not, that's not necessary for a survival shelter. And once you get that up that at that height, that's when I will take sticks and run them across horizontally to begin forming a roof. And I, in order, if you just lay those in across the top and it's just like brush and leaves in your wall, oftentimes when the weight of your roof gets on there, the roof can really sag on in different spots because the weight gets distributed unevenly, especially where your debris isn't quite packed. So what I learned to do is actually put poles in and around, like long, thick, but sturdy poles across the top on either side where you're laying them across. And that will help even the weight out. And it will keep one of those or three of those poles from sagging inward. And so when I made that adjustment, it really helped a lot. And so I lay those poles across and then pile up brush and then to make it a little bit domed. And then I pile debris and or grasses anything I can to keep it dry in there. And the more you build that up and make a really nice thick pile of that, it will look like a loaf of bread. And it's kind of funny looking, but it's really cool, especially if you get inside and you put like a grass blanket in there and you see these poles and then you see this little door opening going in and you burrow in there and come in. It's super, super comfortable and nice. It's a thousand times more comfortable and with less junk falling on you all night long from being in a debris shelter. With a debris shelter, every time you bump the side of the wall, there's like a little shower of pine needles and little bits of leaf, you know, matter just comes raining down on you and gets in your hair and everything. So it's not as fun as everybody might imagine if you're spending a lot of time there. And there's ways to avoid that or change that or keep that from happening. But most of the time, people don't teach you that because you're not getting to that level, especially if you're not sleeping in there. I'm not going to say how to do that because if I do share that, it'll be too easy. And you, any of you listening to this can figure it out and think about what adjustments you would make to make, keep that from happening. But for now, I'm just going to say, if you ever build one of these stack debris wall shelters, they're really, really cool. And you will be pretty excited about them because they're just such a huge step up from debris shelters. But you do need like a lot of those poles. I tried doing it one time in a deeper forest situation and I thought there would be enough poles, but it, oh man, I just was way off and there was not enough brush. And so it ended up just being more like stacked logs and piled up with like rotten wood and then shoving in moss and leaves and stuff. And it worked okay, but um, definitely not as warm as a really good stack debris wall. So those are kind of cool. 
So good food for thought, I guess. Another type of shelter is one where you maybe find like a little little mini cliff or a, or a little a shallow cave and then lean sticks across across that and then kind of weave some kind of a wall there so that you can keep the wind out. And that will work, but I can tell you right now, anytime I've, been, I've ever been along a cliff or anything, the wind is just brutal. I've done it in Utah. I've done it up in upstate New York. I've done it in Virginia. I've done it in a couple places where you could find like a little natural cliff and the rock is cold. So you, you think, oh, I'll just lean against this rock. Man, it is freezing in the desert. You might, it might be 100 degrees during the day. And then at night, it's going to get down to 40. And it will just suck the heat out of you if, unless you have a lot of insulation between you and that wall. So you really need either a buffalo skin robe or you need a bear skin or you need like a sleeping bag with a foam pad or whatever. You need something or a big grass blanket or something like that to keep you warm. But if you're not sleeping in it, if you're just building it as an example, then again, from an educator's point of view, it's super fun to just imagine it and build something and see what you can do. If you're going to build things with students in, and it, again, it's not survival, I always try to build them a little bit bigger if I can, because children do need extra room in there. And if it's too tight, then you're just creating opportunities for them to squabble and get mad or bump things and knock stuff around. So I, by making it a little bit bigger, sometimes it just makes it easier, especially if you make the doorway bigger for them to get in and out and so forth. If they're not sleeping in it, make it a little bit bigger. If you're teaching it from a survival point of view, make it smaller so that they know what it actually should be, right? The door should really be just something you can squeeze in there with and get in there with your sleeping bag or your blanket or something and do your thing. Really don't want it to be massively big because what's heating your shelter is you. When you're, when you're teaching it from that perspective, that's important. But it's not really important if you're just doing it as a community project. And it's more of a space that they're going to use and then have imaginary play or, or whatever they're going to do. And many times I don't, if I'm working with really young children, we'll build a shelter, but we'll, we'll just not have a roof. And maybe we'll use like a, a nylon tarp or a parachute or maybe use like clear plastic or something so that it does shed rain and whatever, but it's also lets a lot of light in. And that will also keep like spiders from collecting in there and so forth. I built a scout shelter, which is like a pit in the ground where you kind of build like a mini grave that's like three feet deep. And then you put sticks across it and then build, pile stuff on and then you cover it with dirt. And it's, you know, designed to be this like in the ground shelter that's hidden and invisible. And I built one of those in Arizona and something came up. I was going to sleep in it one night. And then I was like, shoot, I don't have time to sleep in it. And something came up and I couldn't. And then the la next time I got out there, it was like six days later. And when I went out there, I was like all ready to just burrow in. And I thought, well, let me just check. And so I turned on my flashlight and put my flashlight angled down underneath and looked in there. And there was a massive black widow nest already built inside the shelter to capture insects that were coming in there for the moisture. And it was all dark in there. So I was like, oh man. And then I was trying to reach in to get my blanket that was in there. And I reached in, I grabbed my blanket. And as I pulled my blanket, I heard a, I heard a rattle and it was a rattlesnake. 
and it had burrowed in there because it was looking for mice because the mice had already started eating my blanket and then making a mouse nest and then the snake went in there to try to get them. So I very, very delicately pulled that blanket out and I never saw the snake and I'm glad and I just went, all right, you guys enjoy the shelter. And I just chalked it up to, hey, I built a shelter in three or four hours and and now it's back to nature. If you're in an area where you have snakes and you have spiders and you have other things, just make your shelter in an area a lot bigger. Keep the darkness part out of it. Make it much more clear, open. Make it so you can sweep the area. Native peoples in those locations that have snakes and spiders and scorpions and things like that, they lived in shelters that they could easily clean and see what was going on because they had the same problems. So just be aware that that's okay, that you can make those modifications and just have fun and it will still work. I really believe that native people used like translucent hides to let light in over the tops of some of their shelters. So if you're using like a colored tarp, canvas tarp or something, or that's going to let light in, but also shed rain and stuff, then it's pretty similar. And it still feels really cool to be in that and just to be in this organic thing that everybody made and and are, are having fun with. So anyway, I hope this has been helpful to talk about this. I, for somebody that doesn't like shelter, I sure seem to be pretty easily able to yap about them for a long time. But uh, please know that if you're going to be bringing out tools for them to use or rope and saws and everything, just take your time and make sure that they really know what they're doing. Don't get so absorbed in helping to build it that you're not paying attention. Somebody's shopping away at a live tree or sawing and then having the saw skip and hit their hand or something. So just make sure you're just not in a rush and that students oftentimes can kind of clock each other in the heads when they're grabbing a pole and then swinging it around and not paying attention and expecting everyone else to get out of the way as opposed to waiting for them to get out of the way. And so there's a lot of learning in that as well. I mean, I learned it by watching Three Stooges movies when I was a kid, but that was like a thousand years ago. But you know how they would try to move around with a ladder and swing it around back and forth and clock each other left and right. But man, there's so much learning involved and there's concepts of insulation. And one of the my staff actually, her expertise became that she would just go out in the woods and then make a bed. She would say, hey, let's take two logs put them down side by side that are about eight or nine inches thick. So she would just get these logs that were laying down in the forest already. And she would lay them down in a spot where it was kind of flat. And then they would fill the inside of that space where it would be like a size of a mattress or a sleeping pad. And they would fill that with brush and branches and springy material. And they would put about two feet of that in. So it would be like above the log. And then they would gather grass and debris and pine boughs or anything they could find that they could put in there that would, without cutting down a lot of live trees or anything, and they would put those pine boughs in or, or pine needles, and then they would get and sit on top of that, and it would all compress down like a mattress and be kind of springy, and they would build those mattresses, and then they would like all hang out in there, and she would tell stories, and they'd get their blanket or their sleeping pad or their sleeping bags, and they would just have like a little story time slash nap time. But it was really fun to teach that without having to do the whole building, the whole shelter, just talking about how do you build a mattress in the woods to keep you away from that cold ground, but also 
not just fill it with debris, which can compress. So you have to be able to have it be something that's really comfortable. So that's another element of shelter building. Backrests are another one that's really cool to make. Making a backrest with a, like a tripod and a bunch of sticks and gra a grass blanket is good. Grass mats, cattail mats are really fun. So all of these things are awesome. And don't be afraid to even just building shelters with tarps and getting good at keeping them tight and getting them to the right height. There's like a, I could probably do a whole class just on tarp, what I call tarpology, which is just like, how do you get a tarp in a spot which people think you can't get one in there? Tarps are really cool too. So anything you're doing is just going to be incredible problem solving and creativity and imagine, imaginary uh, processes. I encourage you to don't, don't get sucked in by my downer attitude, having done this for so long. Get excited about it. Shelters are awesome. And I really hope you have fun with it. And it's, a, it's definitely a major part of any forest educator's bag of tricks, for sure. And I hope you have fun. All right. We'll see you next week and enjoy being out in those woods. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator, nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.